Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello. It's good to talk to you today. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. And, you know, as we always say, thank you to our listeners for, for tuning in and be sure to rate and review us if you like us, no matter what platform you listen to us, if you're listening to the uh, podcast version. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got we've got some films, we've got some TV shows. So whether you want to go out, whether you want to stay in, lots to see. So we're going to start off with film by Kelly Reichardt. She's an American filmmaker and she has paired up with two amazing actresses, Academy Award nominees, Michelle Williams and Hong Chow. And the film is called Showing Up. And it will be in theaters uh, Friday, the March, this Friday, March. It's not March. It's April. April. It's Friday, April 14th. Thank God it's April. So, okay. So this is a comedy drama. If you look at it more as a character study, I think that's the best way. It's just, it's a really strong film, um, but don't expect a lot to happen. It takes a while to kick into gear for any like real thing to happen, but it's so very carefully observed. Um, there's a meticulousness to it that matches Michelle Williams's character. Like she's the main character that we follow. Uh, she plays Lizzie, uh, who's a sculptor, and uh, she, Lizzie's preparing to to open a new show. Uh, but she's like she's got some stuff happening, and it's mostly not her stuff that's happening. It's the stuff around her. Uh, Hong Child plays Joe, who's her landlord and friend and neighbor. Well, he's sort of not, you start to wonder about the friend part. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, who's also got shows going on and who's not being a very good landlord. Uh, so that's a cause of some stress. Um, but also Joe is kind of pushy in a way, uh, like domineering in a way as well. And uh, Lizzie's not getting anywhere in terms of what she needs from Joe. But she's also, Lizzie's also trying to balance, you know, her creative needs and wants and desires uh, with all the dramas that are happening, not only with Joe, but with her family members as well. So it's, it's sort of that kind of a film like in terms of dynamics. It's like, it's funny. Uh, it can be vibrant at times. It can, it can be quite poignant. Like I said, it is a comedy drama. But if you if you follow like following Lizzie is like she's a really interesting character in a sort of depressive way. Like she's and in fact, Kelly Reichardt's direction is really interesting when it comes to Lizzie. Camera doesn't even move like she's shot in doorways. She's shot with darkness around her in doorways. She's kind of depressed and it sort of goes along with this sort of sense that, you know, she's trying to like express, she's not really trying to express her needs because you can tell she doesn't know how she's like having so much trouble expressing what she wants and needs and getting through to people. Like she's trying, but it's just not working the way she's doing it. Right. So, so uh, Rykar's camera is like, you know, like I said, it's not really moving when it comes to her, but it moves a lot with other people there's a lot of panning especially when joe like hong chow's character there's a lot of like panning and like fluid movement and 
Uh, and then you get back to Lizzie. It's like, oh, static, <laughs> you know. But the interesting thing as a film develops and as things develop is the way that the camera starts to pick up on Lizzie's art. Lizzie's a sculptor. And what she does is she makes sculptures of figures, female figures. And these female figures are in different poses, doing different acts, like mostly meditative, right? But she tends to like assemble them together, you know, and put them like in a collection and, and the camera likes to pan over them. So that when it does, that's where you get your sense of movement. That's where you get a sense of different women. It's almost like an army of women at times, right? And and these 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 um, poses, these these expressions are like expressions of Lizzie. As soon as she can actualize what's going on inside, and you know, and be who she really needs to be. Which tiny spoiler, it's gonna happen. So that, yeah, that's one thing about the film. It's going to happen. <laughs> and it, I think it's great. Yeah. I, I like this film. I, I didn't love it. Um, I don't know if it's up there with Reichardt's best, but I found it really engaging and really enjoyable. Like the, both Michelle Williams and Hong Chao are, are wonderful in it. I think what I struggled with and I think it's partly because Lizzie struggles this with this as well is who Lizzie wants to be, who Lizzie believes she should be in her mind and who she actually is. And that's at constant push and pull. And throughout this film, she's working on her art. She wants to get her art done. And as you said, there's all these distractions, but at the same time, there's a sense of jealousy kind of, undercurring Lizzie because Joe has the the art that everyone seems to be praising even like whatever piece she comes out with they're always praising Joe and kind of dismissing Lizzie and then there's this funny moment where Lizzie's cat comes entangled with this bird and Lizzie's first thing is just to throw it out the house and let it die outside whereas the next scene we see Joe finding this bird and nursing it back because once again Joe is seen as like this angelic person but as the film goes on you realize there's really a, a kind of tug of war going on between these women because there's there's ego that's occurring and in many ways lizzie kind of wants to be joe but doesn't have all that it takes to be specifically joe and she has to learn how to be lizzie but then there's that whole side story with the family which i wish the film had delved into even further um, because even with the family, we see the push-pull dynamic. She's very worried about her brother. There's issues of mental health going on. And then there's times when the family's all together and Lizzie's being very bossy. Like, you know, something as simple as like a cheese platter. She's <laughs> worried that there's too much cheese. And then when the brother shows up and starts eating the cheese, she's condemning him for it. <laughs> He's like, there's just, there's a lot of sides to Lizzie. That I don't know if the film fully, fully explores as it, as it should. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is I saw it in a completely different way. Like, I don't see her as bossy. I see her as so, like, neurotic and so insecure, right? And it's not that necessarily that, that okay, it, it, it's an interesting film about the art scene, definitely, and, it, and the dynamics within the art scene. Um, but the fact, like, with the whole bird thing, you know, that, that it's like Lizzie 
like sort of gets the bird out of there because she's she's like freaked out. She doesn't know what to do with it, right? And then Joe, fully capable, does something. But in in a lot of ways, Joe is a bully. Joe oh, yeah. is constantly, yeah. So it's like I could totally understand um, this, this the tension because. I resented Joe. It was like, come on already. <laughs> like she was so pushy. It was like, here, do this, here, do that. And as soon as um, as soon as Lizzie said something, there's like, no, I can't do that now. And off she went. You know? Yeah. So I'm not sure about the jealousy. Okay, I'm not sure I got the jealousy. It's probably there. Well, I think I'm there's not, I think I there's jealousy on, on on both parts. And and the reason why I say jealousy is because the, you could see it in the way how Lizzie reacts to other people praising Joe. And yes, Joe is, you know, nicely sabotaging Lizzie, um, making her life, her living conditions rather uncomfortable while being a friend. And but at the same time, you see Lizzie throughout the film trying to exert her authority over others. In situations where I she doesn't have, just, yeah, I thought that that whole thing with the family and and like so, so like was just her being so obsessively worried about everything, and it was like she's just double checking, and then because she has no authority with anybody, that's where like her growing frustration comes from. Is like nobody's listening because she has no authority. Mm-hmm. Nobody's used. People are used to not listening not hearing Lizzie. They're not used to um, taking any direction from her. So then when she does say something, it means nothing. It falls on deaf ears. Yeah. That that's to me the the development of the character is how she goes from like this powerlessness that yeah in her in in her own way it's her own fault for not standing up, learning how to stand up. But in another way it's like well she just doesn't know how. Mm-hmm. And that that's the that's the film is like getting her to the point where she's going to learn how to do it her way, right? And the yep. whole thing with the family, I think the thing with the family was enough <laughs> <laughs> because if there was more family, this would be a totally different film. Right? No, I, I, I can see that about Lizzie. I can see that. I, I think one of the beauties of this film is that it evokes so many different reactions based on one's interpretation. Mm. Uh, because yeah. I, I think there are times where, you know, she has genuine concern. And as you said, trying to assert authority when people aren't listening. And then I think there's times where people are listening and she's harping on things that aren't really that significant in the grand scheme of things. Like she's she's too focused on the small stuff and not looking at the big picture. And again, you have that going against the whole Joe conflict. It's just... There's a lot of layers to this film. Um, and I, I just feel like, at least for the, the family aspect, there's a lot of interesting nuggets that could have been explored even further while still keeping the the art and the dynamics with Joe at the, the forefront. But I still think it's it's a film definitely people should see. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, just with our differing opinions, even though we both like it and having these differing opinions, I mean, that gives people a sense of the richness of the experience mm-hmm. that Kelly Reichardt has, has created here and the actors involved as well. So, yep. Yes. Well, changing gears slightly, uh, we're going to go to 
the animated world. And I did catch the Super Mario Brothers movie, um, which is, I guess is now the highest grossing animated film or had one of the largest debuts of an animated film um, in, in cinematic really? history. Yeah, and really? I, I, I knew I knew it was going to make a lot of money, partly because it's based off of a Nintendo game. So you're talking about generations of people who grew up with it. Like, you know, the original Mario Brothers came out when, when I was a kid. And with every system over the years, they Nintendo has always made a lot of money off of Mario as their their flagship character. You know, it's like think of tricks without the bunny or Frosted Flakes without Tony the Tiger. Like no matter what generation you associate with it. And this is also the first film, I guess, since the 1993 live action one that was not that good. Um, but in my opinion, at least tried to do some interesting things in comparison to this one. So you have this animated one that's done by Illumination Studios, the same people who did the Despicable Me Minions films. And you have Mario and Luigi as these two brothers who have decided to start their own plumbing business in Brooklyn. As things happen, you know, they're not, the business is not successful at first and they stumble upon this um, green pipe while trying to solve a, a flooding issue in, in the heart of Brooklyn. Of course, the pipe takes them to the Mushroom Kingdom and you're pretty much in a Mario game. Um, a lot, the main story is not Mario saving the princess. It's Mario trying to save his brother Luigi, who's been captured by the evil Bowser. Um, and you have Chris Pratt and Charlie Day playing, voicing Mario and Luigi. And Anna Taylor-Joy is Princess Peach. And Jack Black is Bowser the villain. Jack Black is the best thing in this movie. He was the the one, in my opinion, the one bright spot of this film. And part of the reason is because Bowser actually feels like a interesting character. He, you know, he's the villain. He wants world domination, but at the same time, he also wants the love of Princess Peach. And it leads to a lot of amusing scenes where he's trying to navigate how to basically ask this girl out even though he's doing horrible things. So it, it adds some humor there. But I think my problem with this film is it, it writes too much on nostalgia. It is, you know, it assumes, first of all, that everyone has played the game and those who have it, the film basically just gives you a tutorial, like simple things of like Mario and Luigi running to a particular place in Brooklyn is laid out like a, a, a stage in Mario Brothers. So you see them bouncing, jumping, hitting things. At the very end, Mario slides down the pole, just like in the game, how you end the stage. And throughout the film, it's literally just watching either a lot of little Easter eggs, various characters from all the various Mario games, or feeling like you're essentially just watching a big screen version of the game. It doesn't really add anything new or unique. Kids are going to absolutely love it because there's a lot of humor. It's colorful, but I can't see adults outside of like Nintendo hardcore fans really enjoying this film because there's really not much in terms of character development. The story, the story itself is rather paper thin. Um, and as I said, it really banks off of nostalgia. So if you're a big Mario fan or if you have young kids, you're probably going to go see it anyway, but if you're not a Nintendo player, there are other ways. There's other films that you could, could see and enjoy. Wow. It's quite the statement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, look, it's, it's, 
it's Mario Brothers movies. I'll, I'll say, you know, people had gripes with the Sonic the Hedgehog film where, you know, they bring Sonic into a modern world, but at least that one, you have Sonic and the human characters bonding. You, there's a sense of friendship. You feel like, you know, the humor feels slightly fresher than this, whereas this one is really geared towards younger audiences. And since it's geared towards young kids, they just kind of assume, well, all people really want to see is aspects of the game. And that's good enough. And nowadays it just, you know, we, we should expect more from, from mm-hmm. our cinema, which brings me to another film that's opening this weekend that I think everyone should see. Um, it's called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. It's based on a popular book by Andreas Malm. All you really need to know about this film, it's directed by Daniel Goldhaber. And the film is about a group of environmental activists that decide they want to blow up an oil pipeline. That's pretty much all you really need to know. This is a film that works best when you go in and just let it wash over you and experience it. But how they go about this plan plays out like a really tense heist film. And there are so many scenes where you are at the edge of your seat, or if you're not at the edge of your seat, your heart's beating because you're not sure at any point where this is going to go. That you have the traditional like twist and turns of a heist film, but there's just a lot of moments where things can go horribly wrong, or you're sitting there going, That is a horrible idea, and you're watching the idea play out, and it is fascinating. And it's just a really exciting thrilling film that as i said even though it's set around or it plays out like a heist film it feels really original you know when you're thinking back to all some of the the great heist films in cinema i'm going to think back to this eco thriller that has nothing to do with bank robberies but it is just a really tense exciting film that i highly recommend people should see that sounds amazing can't wait to see that one Mm -hmm. i mean there'll probably be a few people who will argue about the political merits and are we what are we teaching our young kids and this is like this is not a a message movie in the sense of like a tutorial on how to blow up pipelines unlike how mario's a tutorial on how to play the game this is just a really <laughs> a really taught eco thriller yeah i mean something that i think we're gonna get more of right like eco themed films mm-hmm so what an amazing combination of you know what you just described. Yeah, just sounds so original. Yeah, and to and to tie it into our first film showing up, um, I've seen a lot of people have recommended um, Kelly Reichardt's, I think it's Night Moves, where she did an eco thriller um, a few years ago. Um, so you know, go see how to blow up a pipeline, and then maybe queue up Night Moves on streaming and and go from there. I believe it's nice. Wow. I should I should make sure I got the name right before telling our viewers that. But that's okay. If if people don't know Kelly Reichardt, they should just look her up and then mm-hmm. check out every film. Yep, right? yep. It's called Night Moves. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. okay. And you okay. saw some stuff on the small screen. Do you want to talk about those? I did. And okay. So if if I am gonna tie anything up to what we just talked about uh, showing up right at the top mm-hmm. of the show then I will say that I've got more comedy drama happening here. Seems to be in terms, in, especially in television, um, these are both, uh, I'm gonna talk about two of them and they're both um, on the shorter end of television, like half an hour-ish. 
that kind of length. Uh, but they're both comedy dramas. The first one is an American comedy drama. And the first season is up on Crave. So it's an easy watch. And the second season uh, is going to premiere soon on April 23rd. And this one is called Somebody Somewhere. And it's set in Manhattan, Kansas. So something you don't see very often. So it focuses on this woman named Sam. And she's dealing with a midlife crisis after the death of her sister. She's always struggled to fit into this sort of hometown kind of mold, you know. Um, but she's, and I don't know if she, you get the sense that she's always sort of grappled with self-acceptance. And uh, it's really bad right now, you know, where she comes home, you know, after the death of her sister. But thanks to a co-worker, she discovers a community of outsiders who also feel like they don't fit in or who technically don't fit in. Um, but they, they stick together and they don't give up. And the, the acting here is incredible. Um, let me just make sure I've got the... Bridget Everett is Sam. And she, yeah, she's in her 40s and she just wants to find happiness. Um, and Jeff Hiller is Joel. He's the co-worker and becomes the friend who um, who just brings her out of her shell, shell and gets her into this community and encourages her in the most incredible way. Like, And also, like, Sam has got, like, the family, the dysfunctional family around her, right? Like, her sister is perfect. Her life is her sister's, the other sister's life, right? The one who's still alive. Her life is perfect, right? And she's always critical. Her mother's an alcoholic. Their mother is an alcoholic. Dad is like the quintessential enabler. Just doesn't know how to stop the wife. Doesn't want to stop. Just unable to stop the wife. Because they're like, you know, dad, you got to help mom. Like, And uh, now he just makes excuses for mom. And so, yeah, Sam's having a very frustrating time just with life in general. And Joel just comes along. And the interesting thing, though, about both of these shows and about something that seems to, to be happening that I've noticed in television is that they what television seems to be doing, and I don't know if, like, if this is a way of like dealing with diversity, is you have a white character and then the, the creators, and it this show really works, so I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying, like, there's this formula going around that's like, okay, let's, we've got a white character, but we'll give them a gay best friend and a black friend or a black best friend as well, you know? So that when I talked about shrinking, that was the case. In that case, that was a man. In this case, there's not a black best friend, but there is like a black friend in, in the main cast, right? And yeah, so... Joel, who becomes like like her best friend, is gay, and he's the one that brings her out. And he kind of it's like it's almost like he brings her out of the closet. It's it's I, I'm sounding kind of like sarcastic about it, and I don't mean to, because this this is really poignant. It's a comedy drama, yeah. It's got its funny moments, but when it's poignant, it's it's really heartrending. It's like 
you know, it's, uh, and there's an authenticity to these experiences. It's like, you don't have to be from Kansas or, and you don't have to be gay and you don't have to, you know, to just understand what these characters go through because the whole process of self-love and self-acceptance and, you know, having family and friends, like, you know, people around you that just aren't doing a really good job of accepting you, of supporting you that's always hard. And when you do find people that that can do that for you, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, so, yeah, I really, really recommend somebody somewhere. Oh, that one uh, sounds good. Yeah, it's great. It really is. Now the next one, the next one makes me nuts in a good way. The next one is like, it's the most unusual, unique thing I have seen. Like I love all these shows I'm talking about. I wouldn't be talking about them otherwise but this one just (laughs) it's like i don't like i was thinking how am i going to how am i going to tell people about this one i don't know like i'll give it a try because this one okay is a british comedy drama but the comedy is like really dark (laughs) sometimes really really dark and i'm going to give you the thing that they just give for this show because I don't know how else to describe it. So they they say, whoever wrote this says, that, the, that this show, Rain Dogs, is an unconventional love story between a working class single mother, her young daughter, and a privileged gay man. And that's it. It's the truth. Uh, so I, once again, gay best friend. <laughs> and once again, there's another best friend and she's black. And, uh, but I'm going to stop being sarcastic and, and stop with all these quips like that. So it's, I'm going to tell you a couple of things just to set things up here. Rain Dogs, it's called Rain Dogs. And Rain Dogs is a reference to a Tom Waits song. And you don't really have to know Tom Waits, but if you do, you sort of get that, a sense of like the kind of mood that he usually sets when he's singing, singing, right? But like when I was trying to figure out, you know, how does this connect to, to Rain Dogs? Because it's got to be a ref. I was looking and I found this, like some person put up this sort of definition of what a Rain Dog was, which they say is connected to the song. They, they say that the phrase Rain Dogs from the song refers to the habit that dogs have of leaving home and then they get lost. Um, but they get lost because it rains. So that means that any sort of markers that they had since like smells and stuff that helped them figure out how to get back home, guide them back home, they're gone. So they're stuck in the rain all alone, nowhere to go. And they don't, they don't, they want to go home, but they, they don't know how. And that sort of describes these characters because they are, they are lost. Basically they're sort of, they're so, it's sort of like the undesirables you know, in society. So they are outsiders, just like in um, somebody somewhere, we've got another set of outsiders who cling together in a way, in a way, only in a way, because they actually have this explosive. um, So the woman, the woman character. So what the characters are Costello is the mother, her best friend, Selby, and the daughter, her daughter, is Iris and the other friend is Gloria. So Costello and Selby have this like incredibly deep love for each other. 
it is incredible at times when it works, when it works, but they have this way of exploding. It's like two beautiful things coming together and the explosion is awful and the fallout is awful and for both of them and the pain that they both experience, but in the pain that they both inflict on each other, but the deep love that they have for each other, it was like, it's like something you don't often see, but mm-hmm. that I admired so much in terms of the way the actors portrayed it, in terms of the way it was written, in terms of the whole idea of the story, you know, and I, I just want to uh, just mention that it was created, the show was created by a woman named Cash Carraway, and um, she wrote it, she created it, she that and she's the executive producer and she first came to prominence when she wrote a book a best-selling book called skint estate you know skint in in british parlance means like broke right you're broke you're flat broke right so skint estate and her writing was compared to these two beat writers Uh, if you don't know beat writers it was like a 1950s kind of freestyle generation of writers um so she's been compared to charles bukowski who's probably the more the most famous um of the comparisons but she's also compared to someone i've never heard of called hubert selby jr and he i looked him up and his writing is like he's he's written his writing has been is really raw and that's how her writing has been described like really raunchy in fact Time Magazine, I'm going to give you a quote. I know I'm giving you all these quotes. No, no, that's okay. It's adding context. Yeah, but it's like, you've got to know all this stuff because it's like, oh my God, I just, I can't stop like looking things up about this show. So Time Magazine describes Caraway's writing as raunchy gallows humor and she's genius at it. And it's true because Mm -hmm. the, the writing of this, like of this show is, is incredibly, yeah. And, and uh, so Hubert Selby Jr. was a, who wrote about outsiders, who wrote about, uh, you know, what was in the underground, who was in the underground, but like people that nobody, uh, people on the outskirts of society, on the edges, on the margins, like that nobody wanted to talk about, like nobody in mainstream society cared about, right? And things, it was almost... It's almost like it reminded me the way when I was reading about it, it was it reminded me of like perhaps it could be like the Nan Golden of writing, you know, the way she just exposes realities and people and shows the, like a beauty there to it, right? Mm-hmm. Because these two characters, well, all of the characters, that there's a beauty there. If there's there, it's a raunchiness, but there's a beauty. Um, there's a poignancy, there's a, I'm just, I'm, I'm totally in love with these characters and, uh, and it, it's dangerous to be in love with these kind of characters because they, they'll hurt each other. They'll hurt you too. <laughs> you know? um, but this one is uh, like, it's on now. So um, the first, I think five episodes are on Crave and then you have to wait. It comes out every Monday. Um, but there's only two left. No, well, that's okay. People left. still have time to, to catch up. And it sounds like yeah. outside of the, uh, 
some of the conventional tropes with the you know diverse best friends who are kind of pushed the margins it still sounds like i forgive this one totally i forgive this one if it's gonna do that trope like this like makes it work so much it's not that like i said i I love the other shows i've been talking about as well Mm. but this one this one is like special in a way i can't describe and i know some people are gonna go watch it and go what are you talking about these people are crazy and it's like yeah yeah they are and not everybody gets it yeah that's okay that's okay it's like not everything is for everybody oh well that's that sounds good and again you've you've given two great shows for at whom at home viewing it sounds like so a lot of a lot of diversity on on this episode in terms of the the content yeah absolutely all right so that's it for another edition of frame line for this week for courtney small i'm barbara kosofsky thanks for listening <laughs>